James 5, beginning at verse 7. This is God's holy and infallible word. Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and see how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. That's God's word to us tonight. We're getting close uh, to the end of this book now. As practical as this book is, and as much as James uses very direct language and picture language to make it easy to hear what he's saying, I would say that the book has been just a bit of a challenge uh, to go straight through verse by verse. I think Pastor Matthew would agree with me there. Here's what I mean. If you just open up the book and read a verse or two, you can find an edifying nugget of God's truth almost immediately and understand it. Um, There's just, you know, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Just pops there. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With it we curse men. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Just verse after verse after verse that we find. But the challenge is when you move through the book and try to understand why James writes what he does when in the book. Basically, how he organizes things. And our verses today are a real example of that. It's weird that these verses are together. Verses 9 and 12 don't seem to fit with the section. And it's hard. What do you do with that? 7 and 8 are about patience. Then he talks about grumbling. And then 10 and 11 are again about patience. And then verse 12 is that famous verse, do not swear, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Well, why should we even care about how the verses fit together, you might ask? If I can open up the Bible and get a nugget for my life, well, it matters because we want to understand the Bible correctly. And to do that, you have to see every verse of the Bible in context. The verses before and after make a difference. They can help us understand what's going on. They can help us not misunderstand it. As an example, the very famous verse in Scripture in Matthew, 
Ask and it will be given you. Right? You know that verse. Well, if you just take it by itself, it sounds like go to God in prayer and ask for anything you want and you'll get it. But the context says that's about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus saying, ask for my kingdom and you will have it. So that's where the context makes a difference. And it does all over the place. And so we work hard as pastors to rightly understand God's word, not just bring the first thing that pops into our heads about a verse. And for understanding this section, it helps to notice that two of the three big themes of the book of James are in these verses. First, and this is one of the themes, we have that calling to be pure and to be free from worldliness in that call to live patient lives waiting for Jesus' return. And that's in verses 7 and 8 and 10 and 11. Second, verses 9 and 12 connect with that other big theme of the book, the call to have tongues that are tamed. So two of the three themes are in our verses, and that helps us get our head around it. Do you remember what the third main topic of the book is? It's helping those in need. And that's going to be picked up in the next section again, which is on prayer, and it's on us praying in particular for others, for people who need prayer. So what I believe is going on in these verses, 7 through 12, someone that has an active, working, living faith, and remember James is all about that, a faith that works, that's active, that's doing things, someone that has an active faith will find that patience in life is a tool for taming your tongue. Patience is an excellent tool for making sure our tongues are kept in check. We got to face it that impatience can be a real problem in our lives. And impatience can really get our tongues in trouble. We can be so quick and sharp in response to someone. I think of, of kids, very impatient responses to their parents sometimes. Sarah and I never hear that, especially the teenager. Well, never heard that, but I've heard of these kids and yeah, they're in my home too, who have that quick, impatient response to parental guidance or any disagreement between two people. We can blurt out things that are unloving, that are hurtful. You know, how often haven't you had it after you say something sharp? I didn't really mean that. Well, then why did we say it? Why, didn't, why did we say it? Well, it's a lot of times because we didn't take that age-old advice, count to ten first, or at least count to three, if we had just been a little more patient. Our text talks about grumbling in verse 9 and the context of suffering. When we're suffering and when we're struggling, it's very easy to complain. It's very easy to say things we don't mean. 
even to loved ones. When we're not happy, we can grumble very quickly, and we often do. And, and you know, sometimes people can grumble. You know, it might be in the church. It might be someone at work. And, and what's behind it is actually a deep pain in their lives. But growing in patience, growing in being patient, that can help the grumbler. Our text in verse 12 says not to swear. And here too, an impatient response is going to lead to the tendency to blurt something sinful out. But patience will lead to clean speech. No need to swear something is true. But instead, you can calmly and quietly let your yes be yes and your no be no. These days, as I think about taming our tongues, I think about the challenge of taming our technological tongue. And what I'm thinking there about is our speech as it comes across in our emails, on Facebook, and text messages, Snapchat, Twitter, all the rest. That is a major way that we talk today and communicate, right? Through technology, through social media. Impatience there can do a lot of damage. Many of us, I'm sure, have at least once in life pressed that send button too soon, firing off an email when we're upset about something. We can spout off about this or that in a Facebook post. It's so easy to do. Have you ever read a news article online and then scrolled below and read the comments on some of those articles? If you ever want to see, or the, I, I think of it as like the end of civilization, how terrible those are. Talk about violations of our tongue. Horrific use of speech. There's hatred in those comments sometimes. Racism, it's unbelievable. Often, patience would have made a difference in that time that maybe we misused email or social media. If everybody had just taken a breath or two, sleep on that email rather than send it and see how you feel in the morning or two days later. These days, our technological tongue can really get us into trouble. We need, friends, this fruit of the Spirit that James talks about, patience, more than ever. You know, we don't know who wrote this little ditty, but there's great wisdom here. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, never in a man. As believers, we know it's something we need to work on, yes, but it's especially something that we know we need worked in us by the power and the grace of God and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we pray earnestly for that. We seek God's help so that our lives would display all the fruit of the Spirit, including patience. Our text gives us help as we work on patience. There are two promises from our God in our text that encourage us towards patience. Two promises that if we know them and if we can own them, they can help make us more patient people. First of all, and this is 
from verses 7 and 8. You can be patient because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. How does that promise help us that the Lord's coming is near? Well, I think it helps us with patience for a number of reasons. His coming means his judgment is coming, which James makes really clear in our text. And this means that though we can get impatient with evil and respond rashly with our tongues, it means instead we can be a little more patient because the Lord is coming soon. And he's going to take care of things. Thomas Lindbergh tells a traditional Hebrew story, and I can't remember if I ever told you this before, but it's about Abraham who was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man weary from age and journey coming toward him. Abraham, being the hospitable patriarch he was, rushed out, greeted him, invited the man into his tent. He washed this older man's feet, gave him food and drink. That, that old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or any word of blessing. And so Abraham asked him, don't you worship God? The old traveler said, I worship fire only and I reverence no other God but fire. And when he heard this, Abraham was incensed. He grabbed that old man by the shoulders, threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called to his friend Abraham and asked where the stranger was. Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answered, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night can we have a godly patience in response to evil and unbelief? It's tough. But clearly, God is patient. He is coming as judge, but he has not yet returned. He's giving opportunity for people to repent. But he is coming, and with his coming is a plan to take care of the evil in this world. He will take care of those who mock his name. He's got a plan. So be assured of that as you and I sometimes get so sickened by sin and evil in this world. Our, our calling is, is to wait on him till he comes. The fact that his coming is near also means our time here is short. And when you're young, you might find that hard to believe, but it's true. Whether Jesus first returns on the clouds or calls us home, in the end, we don't have a lot of time here, do we? Life flies by. Why waste it with harsh words of, of grumbling and complaint or being quick to swear? That the Lord's coming is near should also be a warning to us and to everyone. It gives us a patience towards others as we prioritize making sure that our hearts are right with God. And we've got to ask, and I believe James challenges us here with some strong words. He talks about you're, you'll be condemned if, if you swear. If our tongue 
is often not saying what it should. If impatience overwhelms our life, we need to look inside and ask, why don't I have the fruit of salvation in my life? We need to ask, is there a problem here? Will I be spared the coming judgment against unbelief? Am I a believer? Am I safe in Jesus? Let's be sure that we've gone to the Lord in Jesus' name, confessed our need for Him and our need to be His child. The Bible says that when we do that, all who come, He will surely receive. And then you can be sure that He'll help you with your tongue and with patience. The Lord's coming is near also can mean not only the not yet part of His coming, we think about the Lord's coming often as the second coming, but also there's an already part to His coming. So the Lord is not only coming in the future, but the Lord has already come to bring His children life. We celebrate His coming in the Advent season. He came to this earth as a baby to give us life, and He comes to us now today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is near you. The Lord's coming is near. That means He is near you and me today. He's close to us through the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our struggles, in our sins. So the Lord's coming is near means on a lot of different levels we can be patient people. Resting in that great hope in that reality today, rather than being harsh with our tongues like we sometimes can be. There's one other promise in our text. It's in verse 11, and it can help us with patience. And the promise in verse 11 is, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And when you know that, you can be patient. James uses Job as a prime example of patience in suffering. You think about what Job went through. And he did not use his tongue inappropriately in it at all, at all. He lost all his property. He lost his sons and daughters. Then even his health was taken from him. Yet he did not rant and rave and spout off. He did not sin. He remained patient. Compare that to Job's wife who shot her mouth off. Curse God and die, she said very quickly. She should have just kept quiet. You compare that to Job's three friends who had all kinds of pious but wrong advice. They should have kept their mouths shut. James says, look what that patience of Job finally brought about. And then we think of the tremendous blessings that Job experienced in the end. Everything he lost and more was restored. He experienced tremendous suffering for a time, but then he experienced in powerful ways the Lord's compassion and mercy. What does that mean for us? It's all going to be okay? Does it mean if, if you're patient God's going to bring you through to the other side with wealth 
and a huge family and all the rest? Is the Bible saying that we'll have it just as good as Job did in the end? Well, I'm not so sure about that. But I am sure because the Bible tells us that God has our ultimate good in mind. And though we do suffer, He also reveals to us His compassion and mercy in tremendous ways. Like the farmer who has learned to patiently wait through the seasons, so a believer patiently waits when God has a season of suffering for us. For He will surely bring us through and often He has great blessing on the other side. He will reveal His compassion and His mercy to you once again, believer. When Sarah and I experienced the stillbirth of our son Jacob, that brought a lot of pain. But then we also experienced God's mercy powerfully later when we held little Sophia in our arms after she was born healthy and well. And while it it still hurts to imagine that son of mine, Jacob, as a nine-year-old and what he might be with us, what he would look like, how he would act, that's, that's painful. But at the same time, as I look at my other children, as I look at the, the children in this church running around singing praise to God, that brings tremendous sweetness and, and a lot of times tears of joy. So God brings the compassion and mercy and His goodness after suffering. He really does. And when you know that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, it will bring a patience in suffering that, that, that can prevent saying things we might regret when we're in pain, when we're going through hard times. And we also can be sure that even if we don't experience God's goodness as much as we would like to in this life, remember that we will certainly, perfectly and fully in the next life experience that the Lord is compassion and merciful in ways that we can only imagine today. The blessings today are just going to be a shadow of the mercy and compassion that God will reveal to His people in heaven. So in the midst of a world of sharp tongues, believers can do better. Believers can have their tongues tamed, as James talks about in this book. Cling to that promise that the Lord's coming is near. Always remember that He is full of compassion and mercy. With God's help, He will lead us to lives of quiet patience where as we await His return, we can in the meantime use our tongues for good, to praise His name, to bless those around us.